Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome everybody, welcome your saltwater guide with another phenomenal podcast today. It's Monday, that means it's Opsin USA Monday. We always talk about Opsin fluorocarbons on Monday. Today we're going to talk about it. We'll get a little more in-depth into the Opsin fluorocarbon. We'll give you a QR code. And remember, every week we give away a free spool of Opsin fluorocarbon to one lucky person. And all you have to do to win that spool of line is go through the QR code that we flash on the screen. When we flash that QR code up on the screen, you can enter and go find out what's going on and get, there it is. There's the QR code. If you enter through that QR code, we can track who you are. And then we give, you don't even have to buy anything just by going into the store at Opsin USA. That enters you into the contest to win the free spool of line. And today we're giving away the free spool of line at the 20 minute mark. So stand by and listen to the show. And we're going to give away that free spool of line at the 20 minute mark of the show. But enter through the QR code right now, gang. Grab your phone and jump in there. You don't have to buy anything. But while you're over there, you know you're going to get some fluorocarbon because you got to have fluorocarbon with what's going on out here right now. The fishing right now is absolutely insane in Southern California. It is mind-boggling about how good it is. Yesterday, we were on Let's Talk Cookup. We talked with Frank Lepresti about how phenomenal the fishing is. Don't forget to check out Let's Talk Cookup. You can download the app and you can listen into the show. It's live every Monday, or excuse me, every Saturday and Sunday from seven o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock, or from seven to nine. So check out Let's Talk Hookup Gang. And I want to tell you this fishing right now is absolutely insane. And someone who is very, very, very connected with how bitching the fishing is is going to join us today on the show. One of my heroes growing up, and we grew up same time, I mean, but let me just tell you, this guy is a very big influence in my life and had me very motivated as a young man watching all the great things that he was doing in the industry. And we became very, very close personal friends since we were kids, and we're still very close personal friends now. And We talk almost every single day. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring in my good buddy, Don Brockman, Davies Locker Sport Fishing, Freelance Sport Fishing, Squid Man Extraordinaire. There he is, Donnie. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. Glad to be here, Dave. It's always oh a pleasure. Gosh, it is so much fun. And what's going on right now is insane. It's absolutely Well, you know what? But it's been insane the last couple of years. And, and you know what? It just... It's phenomenal. We we never saw this kind of fishing. 1984, you know, we were fishing rockfish and stuff like that. We're fishing freaking yellowfin tuna, bluefin tuna, swordfish, dorado, three to five miles from Newport Harbor. 
Where else in the world could you do that except for maybe Cabo? But guess what? This is the norm now. This is what it's been the last few years. And, uh, you know, they call El Nino or whatever. I'm calling it El Nino because we only have 73 to 74 degree water, but it's all the fish need to cooperate. And, you know, we've got the richest bait supply in the world here in Southern California that we are blessed with to be able to supply live bait to the boats. And it's made this fishery even better. But that's why the fish are here. They're here to eat. Oh, yeah. The groceries are here. Like my, my buddy Pete Grosbeck said, they always follow the groceries. But boy, did they follow them in this year to Newport and Dana Point. Your boat, now that your son is in charge of it, is just having a phenomenal season. You got a great captain. You got John half a day back with you. And you got uh, Rusty running the boat. You guys, they're having a phenomenal season. I mean, we're going to talk about everything that's going on right now and all the great chances you have of catching like Don said, you can go out on the freelance tomorrow morning. You could catch a sculpin. You could catch a sand bass. You could catch a dorado. You could catch a bluefin. You could catch a yellowfin. You could catch a yellowtail. Yeah, that is who'd have ever thought we'd be talking about that in October, end of September, beginning of October is kind of the standard for the industry nowadays. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And you know what's the hardest part for a customer is to figure out what to bring. And guess what? We don't know what to bring till the morning of. We don't know. We're going to come out of the harbor and, oh, my God, there's a bird school of freaking bluefin or something. I mean, lately, the whale watch boat's been calling us back to out in front of the harbor to, you know, th these bluefin and yellowfin on the in the red tide just boiling around like there's no tomorrow. And uh, it's pretty incredible. And also this summer, what was a really cool thing is we actually had sand bass back regular migratory sand bass you know we had almost six weeks of sand bass yeah it did not you know occur further down south but from newport beach up to ventura we had the best sand bass fishing in at least 10 or 12 years and uh you know to say we caught sand bass on the twilight for five or six weeks with captain sharif muhammad at the wheel was was just phenomenal it was it, it was good for my soul and david i know you as a Fishermen from local, it's good for your soul, too, to, to see a fish that we thought something was wrong with. And the quality, you know, these weren't just little sand bass 15 inches long. You know, they were six, seven, eight, some of them up to nine pounds. And this was every night. You know, it was, it was pretty incredible. But, you know, every day is different, and you got to just tell the people you got to bring different rods. You can't just bring one rod down now. Oh, yeah. It, it's incredible. You know, I talked to Sharif about this in depth. We were talking about it, and I talked to you all the time about it. These were migratory sand. That's what a lot of people don't understand. These were white-bellied sand bass. We've been in the industry for so long, we understand. These were white-bellied sand bass. These were migratory fish. They're not the resident sand bass that you guys think they were. These were the fish that showed up for so many years in the mud and they showed up, and you and I were talking about on the structure, which was unheard of. These little fish didn't know what to do. Yep, and they just they just came here and they spawned away, and there was major volume, and it it it's good good for the fishery. But you know, there's a hell of a population of sand bass that don't migrate, and uh, those are the we call them the greenies. 
And those are the ones that are in the harbors and along the, the little rocks close to the beach and stuff like that. But they're here year round. I mean, you should hear the sand bass that the lobster guys get in their traps and stuff. And we never, we never fish in there. You know, those fish are just, they're the home guards. Right. And when you know the spots, you can go and you can focus and you can fish for them. And they were spectacular. But then that migratory sand bass showed up and none of us saw that coming. We thought it was over. You and I, I remember we had a podcast, I don't know, five, six months ago before any of this happened. And we were like talking on the podcast. What happened to the sand bass? What happened to the barracuda? And it's just like everything we talk about all the time. It's all cyclical. And if you wait around long enough, it'll blow your mind. It'll blow my mind. It's blowing Steve Lasley's mind. It's blowing Pete Grossbeck's mind. Nobody's ever seen what's going on today. But then in the mix of all this cool tuna and dorado and all this other stuff, here comes the sand bass again out of nowhere. So when right when you think you got this thing figured out, it says, no, you have no clue what you're talking about. Well, my grandfather told me, anytime you ever figure out fishing, lad, you're going to be dead because there ain't no figuring out fishing. And that's just the way it is. Absolutely. Because when you think you got to figure it out, you don't. Right. My dad used to tell the story, God rest his soul, that when he was running the Sum Fund back in 1961, 62, the kelp beds went from the Mexican border all the way up to San Francisco, no real breaks in them. And you couldn't catch a calico bass the size of your, your hand back then for a whole year. It was just terrible, terrible, terrible fishing. And then all of a sudden that sand bass migrated into Southern California and the whole world changed. So you just, you don't know. And like everyone, Oh, the albacore are all gone. Are they ever coming back? They're going to come back and it's going to be like, nobody's ever seen it before, but everybody, well, there, there's, a, there's a difference with the albacore, though, Dave, we need to remember. We know that the biomass is strong for albacore. They just have not migrated this way. We didn't know what the biomass of sand bass was. The ones that we knew, the, the white bellies, as you call them, the spawners that migrate. And, uh, you know, it was just great to see. And I hope it's going to be every summer because it it is a staple for the local fleet, you know, because... You know, mom and pop bring their six-year-old down. They, you know, they, they don't want to bring them out to to try to catch a 60 or 70-pound tuna because they need to spend on the equipment to have him go fishing. And it make, makes it a little more of a professional uh, outcome. But you know what? It's it Like you said, it's all cyclical. And we just hope that the ocean is resilient and they just keep coming. And, you know, one day that albacore migration might end up going south one year and albacore and sand bass used to be together so the funny part was those two albacore were caught i believe it was on the seca seca yeah um seca sport fishing um and right then we were catching the best sand bass fishing because they used to go hand in hand albacore and, and sand bass you know they were in the same cycle and, it, and anchovies, just like when you see anchovies in the bait receiver. Oh, my God. Albacore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anchovies in the bait barge. When I was growing up fishing with you when we were kids, 
I had never seen a sardine. I remember the first sardine I saw in the bait tank. I was working for Doug Harmon and I looked in the bait tank and I was like, Hey, there's, because I had to be on the bait tank all the time because back in those days, we chummed always. You always had someone on the tank, which blows my mind nowadays, but you really can't because you're using eight-inch sardines, so it's hard to chum with those. But back in the day, we had anchovies. But I remember standing up on the bait tank, looking into the tank, and I'm looking at it. Look, I thought it was a domino fish because of the way it had the little spots on the back. And I thought, I thought I'm going to catch that. And I sat there on a bucket waiting, waiting, finally caught it. And I ran up to the wheelhouse and I asked Doug Harmon, I'm like, what is this? And he goes, listen, that's a sardine back in the day. That's all we had for bait. But the Monterey Bay cannery wiped them out. And there are no sardines because that's what everyone thought back then. I mean, if you think all this through and you'll wait for a minute, in the 60s and 70s, there was no sardines because the Monterey Bay canneries had fished them to non-existence. Not, right. they didn't, yeah, they just fished them down, right. They, and there was a lot of waste back then. You know, they, they, they'd put 100 ton in the net and pump off 50 ton and then dump the other 50 ton back in the ocean as feed, you know. And, uh, you know, but that's... That's the way it was back in the 40s and 50s. There's nothing we can do to change it. But you know what? What happened? Sardines made a fucking miraculous comeback. Now we have more sardines than we do anchovies. Correct. But we're blessed this year to have anchovies for the whole summer, thanks to San Pedro Bait Company, working an extra seven or eight hours a day to make sure we had 50-50, which meant 50% anchovies. 50% sardines. So, And it's a big deal. It's a big deal when you have that anchovy. It changes everything. It allows everybody on your boat to actually have a chance to catch something. Now, and I know it's fun to throw a big sardine out in the water, but if you don't know how to fish mm-hmm. and you're using a rental rod and you're using a <clears throat> fish that's as big as a trout, it's real tough to catch a fish. Well, I, I can actually tell you a great story last week. My grandson, I brought him on the uh, two-day trip on the Thunderbird. He's seven years old. <clears throat> and uh, so I'm casting out the sardines because he can't reach the bait tank yet. And you know what? I had one hell of a time hooking them fish with that freaking spinning pole. I had, to go, I had to go cast a conventional just to make sure I hadn't lost it. But, man, when you don't have no tension on there and, and the line is just flinging off of that thing, no wonder nobody can catch you there on a sardine. Because you had a spinning pole. But, um, you know, I finally figured it out just to hook and hand my, 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 my conventional reel. But, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's weird how we adapt to certain types of fishing. But an anchovy was something that was good. I mean, God, what was it, 1979, all the bluefin tuna at San Clemente Island. Uh, on the anchor in 40 fathoms and all we had was what was called two eyes and a wiggle I mean it meant two and a half inch anchovies and that's how you had to catch the bluefin then oh yeah i was working on the fury two for john haas at the time you had to have a number six or a number eight thin wire bronze hook and 12 pound monofilament on a squitter junior on a plastic, you had, this was all you had. You had plastic, plastic spool bobber. or you had a metal spool. 
The right. metal spool was great, but you couldn't cast it. Plastic spool was great because you could cast it, but then in the middle of the battle, the reel would blow up. And this is explode. The it would come out the side, David. Remember that? It would shoot off the 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 reel would go pop, and the side plate would fly fly off the side of the reel. And but that's how we fished bluefin back then, gang, at San Clemente Island on the anchor. And it was an amazing fishery. And if you got 10 bluefin on the boat that day, you were a highliner, baby. You were the, the highliner. Fish counts back then. I, I worked on the Sea Fury. You were on the Fury. I was working on the Sea Fury then. And our fish count would be 10 to 15 tuna every day. The six little um, Oriental guys would catch them because they were the ones with the 12-foot rods that could cast out the pinhead chovies on the bobber. Right. And then we, we'd have 250 calico bass. And the boat never moved. We just sat there on the in 40 fathoms. And we'd have limits of Johnny Bass white fish whatever other kind of rock fish he caught right there but it was everyone went home with bags of fish you know it was crazy and we'd fillet fish all the way from san Clemente island all the way back to long beach sport fishing every, that's telling you where i came from <laughs> every day well i remember working for you what was that in 79 80 81 1980 sport fisher 80, 1980. 80. I was your cook and Butler and Mark and myself and you, and we would go out every day, gang, and we would catch. What did we carry? 40 people on the sport? 49. 400. So we would catch 490 sand bass every <laughs> day. And sometimes and then, 200 barracuda with that. Right. And then we'd have an hour to fillet them before we got to the harbor because we couldn't fillet in the harbor. And Donnie would have it set up so close that when we would pull in, Lasley would be there with all his people to climb on the boat to take it twilight fishing. And again, we'd be, we'd still be cutting fish while the twilight people are getting on the, it was crazy back then. You guys all think you fillet fish and you know how to fillet fish. We fillet Five, six hundred fish every day in an hour and a half. Ten cents a fish. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember? Ten yeah. cents. Ten for a dollar. Ten for a dollar. And the people were dumping money in the tip jar all day. Yep. And then what what is it now? Two dollars a fish for a calico bass, sand bass? Well, we thought it was big money when they, we went to a quarter. <laughs> when we went to a quarter of fish, we're like, no one's gonna pay a quarter. Right. You get their fish filleted. Right. So you got your fish filleted and put in a bag so that you could take it home and eat it for a quarter of fit or 10 cents. Or back, you remember when we were kids on the boat before we were deckhands, they would they didn't even charge. They hadn't gutted the fish. And they, you just did it. I remember when Norris started running the freelance and he'd catch those blacksmith perch and blue perch. Five for a dollar. Five for a dollar. Five for a dollar to clean them. Yeah, you got a handful <laughs> of fillets, but people stood in line to get them cut. It was, it was a different world back then. Now people don't understand how much. So many people are spoiled now with the tuna, and they just don't get the if there's not 
20 or 30 tuna and 15 or 20 yellowtail. They're like, all there is, calico bass, that's all. Remember, yeah. we fish Clementia. Isn't that's there, all. Skipper, isn't there something else we could go do? <laughs> and, oh, my gosh. We've been, we had so much fun growing up. We had, I mean, that was a different world back then, if you think about. So much fun. Get on the boat. Parents drop you off in the morning. My dad, I rem, my dad was in the industry, but they drop us off in the morning at four o'clock in the morning and we wouldn't get home till midnight, one o'clock the next and nobody, and there was no cell phones. There was nothing. People just, that's just what you did. And we and couldn't they, wait to go out on the boat. And then you got Wiggy picking you up. I won't say what his last name was with your truck full of weed growing on the bottom of the floor pan. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. We don't want to lose half our audience here. That's that's going to be for the pay. That's thirty show. years ago, or is that forty years ago? Forty years ago, dude. Jesus Christ, where's the? Time? I'm sixty-two. Where has the time gone, David? Forty-five years ago. Can you believe that? Who'd have ever look, thought? Look, look at this now. Look, look at this now. And and you know what, David? I I don't even think of you as a mentor. I think of you as a friend. And you know what? You've always been there when we needed you and vice versa for us. We're, you know, we make a good team. Oh my gosh. We, we thank you so much for saying that because you've been, you've been a very big part of my life for a very long time. And back in the day, if I would have just shut up and listened a little bit better, it would have been even better. And life is great right now, but it took a little while for Captain Dave to grow up. It took a little while for me to grow up and, Oh my gosh. But gang, you don't understand. Don Brockman was there with us in the day. We were all standing side by side, but Don just had a different view of this whole thing. He just was looking at it at a different. And if you caught a fish on Donnie's boat, everybody in the world knew about it. It didn't matter if it was a tomcat, a barracuda, right. a yellowtail, any fish that came over the rail, everybody knew. And you brought that energy level up so high that people just could not not go fishing with you it was incredible man you you taught me a lot but guess, about but guess what i'm i'm still the same way i take my wife fishing out at lake havasu and she's like i'm not your dickhead she there's a school of fish we got to get on it you know it's like that that same level is there it'll never leave me and um you know i'm just blessed that uh people went along for the ride that people actually enjoyed my energy level. And because of it, you know, we paid for the freelance. Oh, absolutely. You know? Real quick. We got to do a little business. Okay. Gang. Remember I told you at the 20 minute mark, we were going to give away that free spool of Opsin floral carbon. Well, Tim Ogilvy, thank you for supporting the show so much. You're constantly going over to Opsin. You're constantly going on the Opsin USA QR code, grabbing line. You are a big supporter of the show. So Tim, it, it makes my day when Kelly pulled your name out of the hat to win the free spool of ops and floral carbon. I know you're up fishing in the Sierras right now and keep sending me those pictures they're bitching, but Tim, you won the free spool of line. We're going to get that out to you, Greg and the boys over at Opsin. And listen, gang, you can win this spool of line next week. All you got to do is grab that QR code, go visit Opsin USA, get a spool of this floral carbon anyway. Listen, this fluorocarbon is the fluorocarbon you want to be using. It's a clear fluorocarbon. 
I believe that the whole key to this whole thing is making sure the fish can't see it when they go to bite your bait. I don't know why they make colored fluorocarbon, except that it catches fishermen. And I know that it does. But the whole idea of using fluorocarbon is trying to make it so that the fish can't see your line. Plus, I know it's, re it's uh, abrasion resistant, but it's all about clarity. It's all about that fish not seeing your line. That's why I believe you need Opsin. It's a clear fluorocarbon, plus it's spooled in America. I know it's made overseas, but it's spooled in America. Greg Brown and his wife own the company. They're right there in Newport Beach, family-owned company. So you're supporting a family in Newport. Go get yourself a spool of Opsin. Go enter that QR code with your phone and go check out Opsin USA. Thank you very, very much, Tim, for doing it. We'll get that spool of line out to you immediately. So back to what you were saying, you built that freelance. When did you build the freelance? 1984. 1984. How spectacular was that? That was right during the best El Nino ever. Exactly. Perfect timing. It was incredible timing. <laughs> Nobody could believe it. First of all, no one could believe you were building this. You had the sport fisher. <clears throat> and you went right from the sport fisher to building the freelance, which was pretty spectacular deal. Why don't you tell everybody how you got that sport fisher to start off with? Because that's a phenomenal story. And Phil Tozier, what a great human being. Yeah, well, Jim Schaefer, um, who was partners in the landing, which I didn't know was partners in the pavilion, which was partners to Phil Tozier, uh, knew I was an up-and-coming captain at 18 years old and um they uh they called and asked me if i wanted a boat and i said well what do you mean wanted a boat and they said what well, do you do you want the matt walsh or do you want the sport fisher well i didn't know the matt walsh so you know i said well i'd love to have the sport fisher so they said well here we're going to hand you the keys to the sport fisher give you the three-quarter day run out of davy's locker which was basically a in the toilet 10 passengers a day if they were lucky during the summertime. That's when you caught rock cod, if you're lucky, on a three-quarter day trip or sable fish. And um, <clears throat> then um, handed me the keys and said, you don't have to make a payment. How about 15000 a year for a boat payment? I says, well, that sounds pretty good to me. So they gave me half the boat for 35000 which was more money than I'd ever even thought of. And I had to make $15,000 payments in a year. Well, about a year and a half later, the half day boat pulled up to the Coast Guard dock and they threw a line to a guy fishing on the dock in Newport and it cut the guy's finger off when they put the boat ahead. And the next day, the same owner of the pavilion, Phil Tozier came to us and said, hey, they're only trying to sue me I don't want any part of these boats anymore. So I'll sell you the other half for the same amount. And you guys all, you know, take over and take over all the liabilities. So that's how I ended up with the whole sport fisher. And then two and a half years later, I'd outgrew the sport fisher was only a 49 passenger boat and uh, actually started the construction on the freelance and, um, Started construction and only had 50 grand and we ran out of 50 grand quick and we thought we were going to get this funding 
And it took Phil Tozier to say, tell the bank, uh, that was back in the day when you only had to tell the bank, give the guy the money. They said, give the kid the money or I'm going to take my $5 million out of here and move it somewhere. So he didn't have to co-sign or anything. They just handed me the, they handed me the rest of the money to build the boat. And I paid for the boat in about three or four years. So, but we built that boat for four hundred and forty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty four. So that same boat now would be about two million dollars if if you could build it. But we fast forwarded so fast, and we skipped over a really spectacular thing when you took over the Sport Fisher. The three quarter day boat was running with like ten, maybe some yeah. Days I said that days. yeah, with ten to fifteen people, and when I came in there. I had outgrown the the uh, capacity, and that was forty to forty nine people. But but it was because of your energy. People had never seen anything like that. I mean, why they were standing there, people were in awe. Why they were waiting just to get on the boat because the show. You were just a showman, David. I I have the best story ever. People came down to get on the sport fisher. There was twenty six of them, and I said, guys. I hadn't been in Albacore in fucking 20 years locally. I said, we're going for Albacore today. I got hot dope from a rock cod friend, and we're going for it. We're not coming back. There's no guarantees. We're just going for it. This is And uh, 11 people walked off the boat and got on the half-day boat that morning. And we ended up with 78 Albacore. We made the front page of the Santa Ana Register. They came down and filmed our fish. They were all 20 to 25 pounders. And the very next day, here's the old sport fisher, 1938 wood boat. And here's the Royal Polaris up there fishing right next to me at the 14 mile bank, you know, and, uh, (laughs) you know, and that, that made my heart like, wow, I'm fishing with the big boys, (laughs) but uh, there was nothing like that sport fisher. It was a fishy boat. It just, Single screw, wood boat, it just caught fish, and, man, did it get jig-striped on the albacore. So I just love that boat. You did so much to revolutionize the whole thing, though, back then. You were, you were like a visionary like you can't even comprehend because, gang, if you think about this and think about people today, they would look at that run with 10, 12 people and go, oh, well, you know, I'm going to give it a – not you – it didn't take long. You were carrying 49 people every day and you ran that boat and then it would do the twilight trips too. So the boat yeah. didn't spend a lot of time at the dock. And those days he didn't have a dock there. There wasn't anywhere to put the sport fish. No, we had to put it. Yeah. All the way back at uh, the crab cooker and yep. in the morning. We actually, get it wasn't the crab cooker. We were actually at Delaney's restaurant. All the way in the back, oh, that's right. which is we were in which was back. where old Davy's locker used to be. Where, yeah, and you know, talking about the twilight, we'd be waiting for Lasley to come in for the twilight. And I never forget one night we had we had a freaking uh, a paper meter, and we ran out of paper. And the next day, I come down to run the boat, and the paper meter's gone. Well, back then we didn't have cell phones, so I thought somebody stole the paper meter. I get the next night for twilight, and I go, Lasley. 
Do you know what happened to the paper meter? He said, yeah, the motherfucker didn't have any paper oh, left. Don't oh, the mother, the mother sucker didn't have any paper left in it, so I just threw it off the, out the window for the side. <laughs> My $500 meter. <laughs> what was the ticket price back then? Do you remember? $19. $19. quarter day fishing. Yep. 19 and that that included Catalina no matter where we went. And I believe and, Twilight was 10 or 12 dollars in. And let everybody know the price of fuel. The price remember? of fuel then was 39 cents for diesel. For a gallon of diesel, gang. Thank yeah, and we're paying 525 today plus tax. Yeah, if you're lucky. No, it's five. Well, I'm just telling you, Newport Beach, it's five twenty-five plus tax. Crazy. So basically, six dollars. Six bucks a gallon for fuel. That my dad used to tell this story. He, you could have all the money he made last year if you could just give him back the money he spent on fuel. That's all he wanted was the fuel money. He thought it was incredible because we never thought about that. People ask today, hey. How come no one does an exploratory trip to go look for albacore? Well, because fuel's $6 a gallon. Back when we yeah. used to do those fun exploratory trips, you never even thought about your fuel bill. That wasn't even part of the, you never thought about it, right? Fuel and employees now, which never was back in, let's just say, 1984. Well, we lost Donnie there for a minute. I don't know what happened to him. He's locked up. Locked up, Donnie. Get back on. Go off and come back. I don't know what happened Ooh. to him there. You got me? There, he's back. You were gone for a minute. Yeah, okay, something happened anyway, to the feed. The fuel, I mean, we never even factored it in to the business. Now it's it's 90% of the, the freelance leaves the dock and it's $2,000 out the exhaust and employees a day just to get started. That's not paying for your bait or anything. So it's definitely the industry has changed. Well, absolutely. Think about the employee thing. Remember when you could get kids all day, every day, 12, 13, 14 year old kids that were just begging for the opportunity to come out and clean the boat so they could go fishing. I bet you you couldn't get one 16-year-old to do that today. I don't care. You mean I have to clean the boat because I went fishing? Well, I'll go buy a ticket now. <laughs> exactly. That's their attitude now. Right. Instead of getting a free fishing trip. And back in the day, you stood in – there was 15 little kids that were begging for that opportunity to clean the boat on the way home to go fishing for the day. That's, you never even – and to think that – Work kids 15, 16 hours in a day with no break. Yeah. They couldn't even comprehend that. It would never make sense. They Well, guess what? They, they don't allow it now, Dave. <laughs> you have to give everyone a one-hour break, which yeah. really makes sense on a fishing boat. And how do you do that? You tell them they can go sit in the galley? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the, think of the – back when we were young – Someone would stop and do working so they could talk on the cell phone. What? Hello? What are you doing? You're on the phone? We're in the middle of a wide open bite. What are you doing on the phone? 
<laughs> can't even comprehend that. I'm so glad I don't have to worry about that anymore. It's so def definitely a different world we're living in today than when we grew up on the boat. So then you started doing something else that none of us had ever even thought of or heard of. And you started. Oh, speaking. God, are we going to go down the freaking commercial into? Well, no, no. Yes, I'm, a yes, I'm ACDC. I go both ways. <laughs> yeah, but you were doing something. You were catching us all bait back in the day before right. the commercial thing. Well, it started, yeah, it started off, that's how I got my bait, was to go do that. And then I needed to supplement the fuel. And back then, the crew didn't need to get paid to go get bait. Now, if they want to go out, they want to know what they're making to, to do it. They don't do it for what me and Dave did it for. We did it for the love of fishing, you know. But, yeah, I pioneered, you know, getting live squid at night for bait. And that... Um, I, I'm trying to think of the right word that put the freelance as a three quarter day boat on a different level, having the same bait as an overnight boat. And you didn't have to stay up all night to go on an overnight boat. Right. Well, when you brought that Lampara net, your own personal little Lampara net, and we'd go out on the boat and I was working with Doug back then. And we would meet up with you in the middle of Laguna back when you could fish in Laguna. And, uh, Doug would throw the throw me and Max on the boat with you, and we'd go and sit with you, and you taught us how to set the net. We didn't know net. We knew bait scoop, but we didn't know just net. Just pull, just pull, pull. <laughs> and he'd drive that net around in a circle, and then we'd stand on that boat and then pull that net in and just keep looking in the water as you're pulling, and your hand pulling the net, you're just stacking it up, and he's yelling at you, don't stack it like that. It's going to be all tangled up next time. And we're stacking net, and then – there's the squid in the net. Oh my God. It was the greatest. It was those memories. And that was so much fun, but yeah, we never even thought about getting paid. That was not even in the game plan. It wasn't even in the vocabulary. Now, if you're going to go make bait, even rusty to this day, Hey rusty, you need to go to Dana point to pick up bait, but what am I getting paid? These kids they're they're but it's their mentality of, you know, now it's been a, a drilled into their heads. They need to get paid a certain amount an hour and blah, blah, blah. You know, but um, back in the day, me and you and the crew did it for the love of fishing. <laughs> well, I remember we would beg to go squid fishing. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to get, you're going to get this much money. And you'd be like, Donnie, are we squid fishing tonight? Donnie, are we? And we'd already worked 20 hours. We're dead. Right dead tired, but we don't care because we know if we don't have that bait on the boat tomorrow, we're not going to catch those yellowtail. And by catching those yellowtail, put people on the boat, which made money for side money. And then let, let's leave the squid thing alone. Let's take another look at something else that nobody knows how to do today. And you and I and, and Beak, Beaker, we were sitting in your house in Laguna Beach up on the hill and we were going, getting... Our first two-meter radios, those King radios. Right, the King radios, tuning them up. And we were watching Michael Folks's tribute to tuna, and you were like, hey, those common dolphins, they kind of act like that. And we were like, Beaker and I were like, yeah, they kind of do. And they go, well, I'm going to go out there tomorrow with 100 scoops of anchovies and see what happens. <laughs> Gang, you don't understand. 
This is all stuff that this is back in the 80s. When nobody knew. And and you can say, oh, we already knew all that. Well, unfortunately, you guys weren't catching them and you weren't putting them in the fish count. So I don't know what you were doing, but whatever. You can all say you knew all about it. And that's okay. We like those comments. It makes me and Donnie laugh. But we were sitting there. And I remember Beaker was fishing Catalina every day on the Thunderbird. And mm-hmm. I was fishing the seahorse and you were on the freelance and you were like, I'm going to go out there and try this thing. And I remember you calling me on the two meter beakers coming from Catalina as fast as he can. And I'm coming up the coast as fast as I can. And you're going, Dave, we have 90 going right now. I'm like, what? We got 90 on the first, first stop. We hooked 90 fish. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you go into the spot of dolphin and you mark the fish on the up and down, and then you just stop the boat and braille. And the tuna would just come up, and every single rod on the boat would get bit. And it was crazy. You'd come out. People don't understand, but you come out of the – I get so excited, but you come out of the stop. Yeah. You hook 90, you got three. Yeah, I know. It was a disaster every time. But it, it was, was so a, fun. You, you, needed, you needed to have one where the fish actually came off the dolphin – and you were in the stop for like 20 minutes and then you would start landing them because when it was mad pandemonium and yeah, back then the freelance carried 90 people. Now we limit it to 60. So it's not as bad, but back then we just put 90 people on there, baby. And it was, it was game on, but it, and you know what? We never had any fights. Yeah. Everybody didn't know how to fight. They were too busy trying to put their rods back together. And I remember Jeff Price and Jan Price, they would come out fishing with me and I'd go grab the trolling rods. What? Yeah, just grab the trolling rods and put a number two hook on it. And then when I stop, just drop the bait in the water. You guys will be the ones that catch the fish. The rest of the people are going to lose everything because I only carried 60 people. Donnie carried 90, but gang, you can't comprehend. You think we're, we're like exaggerating. We're not. You would hang 60 fish at one time. Every instantly, I mean, instantly, not, not five minutes apart. Everybody would be hooked up at the same time. And you can imagine 90 lines going to the back corner all at the same time. There's no way out. You're not going to, it doesn't matter. But if you were fishing with the 80 pound, you could put the, you could lock it up. And these were 20 pound tuna or 15 pound tuna. They weren't monsters, but when you hook 90 at a time, it was insane. It might've just been monsters. (laughs) It was insane to think back to those days and how cool that was and how much fun that was and cutting edge. And I remember it was just you, me, and Beaker. We were the only ones that knew. And then we got caught one day in the fog. I remember we the fog, you and I and Beaker were wailing on them, and then the fog cleared up and the fleet saw us. And they're like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. Them, them were, that, 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 that's great memories, Dave. Great memories. It's so fun to think back to those days. And then another thing that you did that none of us had ever thought of was you went to the rigs. Yep. Gang, you don't want to fishing at the rigs. Those oil platforms off of Huntington, the ones out in the deep water, not those two on the inside. I'm talking. Yeah. And you know what? The the rig fishing was just like they show the rig fishing on the East Coast now. The problem was they put those muscle whatever they're called scrubbers uh they don't don't allow the muscles to grow and somehow some way that 
we don't have a yellowtail population there. But, you know, I watch these rigs on the East Coast that are 100 miles out. They catch yellowfin tuna. They catch, you know, everything off those rigs. I wish we could offer ours because it was it was phenomenal fishing for five or six, seven years. Donnie would anchor up. What was the depth? 600 feet of water? 622 feet of water. Yeah, and he would anchor up, gang. Here's something that you got. I know a lot of you watch my videos and you go and I, my anchor videos and you're like, I can't figure out how to do it. Think about this. Anchoring up a 90 foot boat with 90 people on it close enough that when the anchor grabs the bottom and the boat is setting, you're in casting distance to cast to the pilings of the of the the rig. Think about that. That's what Donnie was doing every day, gang. And and other boats would come and they would just drift by and they you wouldn't catch anything because like I try to teach you all, they're on their house. So when Donnie would present his boat proper at the rig, it was like the most unbelievable thing you'd ever you see. You know what Corby Corby used to direct me because I'd stay in the wheelhouse and Corby would was my deckhand then. And uh Corby would would uh turn around and give me the signal position alpha when we were perfect. Cause it was sometimes it would take a cup cause in 600 feet of water, there's not a whole lot of room for error because those lines have got to be going back to their house. And, oh, yeah. and think you know, of all the times where it didn't stick and you're like, okay, okay. Wind them up guys. Push off the rig. Push off the rig. <laughs> Off. we're right on it dawn and you're like i know we got eight hanging and i gotta get out of here and you're pulling the anchor think of how gang there was a comment from one of the guys that said hey 15 years old i remember pulling the anchor yeah can you imagine here's donnie had this anchor winch on the freelance you guys don't understand it all this stuff's so cool to talk about because people don't understand it but he had it hooked up where none of us had seen this before. We all had those old electric winches. You had yours hooked up to the engine. So right. he could rev the engine up 1500 RPMs. That cat head, the, the, the part that pulls the anchor would be going so fast and you'd be pulling as much as you can. And if there was any mistake, it would rip your arm off and nobody ever right. got hurt. Nobody ever got hurt. Think about it. No, the only time we had to be careful is when the hooks went into the anchor. If we were there for a long time and there was a big bite some of the fish would always end up in the anchor line because you can't pull the anchor line if you're hooked up. So, right. Yeah. It's kind of, it was the, the things we did, the things we got away with, the things you did that were cutting edge was just mind boggling. Well, I remember that, cutting edge on the freelance was, I was the first one to think about putting a sonar, sonar. on a local boat. Well, I was going there next. Yeah. Yep. Putting on a sonar on a local boat. Spent $10,000 and it was $10,000 we didn't have when we were building the boat, but I knew we were going to need that for fishing. And I didn't know. I, I'd never used one. You know, and that, you know, now it's, I my guys won't even go, if the sonar's broken, they won't even run the boat. Because right. the sonar gives them so much information. Yeah. it's Where the spot instant. is, where the fish are. Instant. Well, then so, you took that. There's another thing, gang, you don't understand. Don took that and went over to Catalina and turned Catalina into the destination to catch Barracuda. Driving up and down that front side of the island going, 
And I'm telling you, gang, so many people went on the freelance to go to Catalina. Know, but David, what was that noise? <laughs> that was the sonar telling us that there's some barracuda right here. There you right? Go. Okay. And Donnie would go throw the jig right there, starboard side, throw it 30 yards, and it would hit the water and boom, barracuda. And these are, I don't understand why no one likes barracuda anymore because man, oh man, oh man, everybody loved barracuda back in the day. You know, I just think things have changed or whatever, but you know, barracuda are fun to catch. They're great to eat. You do have to take care of them. I mean, they're a fish. I mean, uh, that you've got to take care of. I mean, in the sense of getting it on ice or whatever, but you know what? They're great eating if prepared right. And they're super fun to catch. I mean, they, what other fish will eat a nine inch freaking jig and get, get you a woody because it's hooked up. It. I use the word woody. <laughs> they'd inhale it. You'd have to pick yeah. it out of there. They'd be down in their stomach. <clears throat> You sold a couple of blue and white jigs back in the day on the boat. A couple. Oh of yeah, I, I I I made a few house payments on them damn things. And the old yeah, there'd be there'd be there'd be days with a hundred. I'd sell a hundred jigs. I mean, it was just because the barracuda were so wide open, they were inhaling the jigs like you talked about, and they'd swallow them and they'd bite them off. You know, and these oh, barracuda yeah. back then were all six, seven, eight pounds. So when you go to lift them over the side. You were lifting some meat over the side or breaking your rod, you know. Breaking the rod or breaking the jig off. And we'd pray that right. they broke the jig off. <laughs> and we it's so funny how many how many people try to lift fish over the rail by grabbing the rod halfway up it and then snap it. They go, oh, I just snapped my pole. Yeah. Well, you don't stop the pole from bending with your hand. Right in the middle is so funny so many times. We're not going to stop in an hour here, but we're going to bring in my buddy right now. We're going to bring in Pablo, who's been on this tuna bite. He's running the guide service down in San Diego. We're going to bring him in here for a few minutes, and we're going to let him tell us about what he's seeing out there on the water, Don, so you and I can take a breath of air because I get so excited talking to you. But Pablo, welcome to the show. Hey, good afternoon, guys. I don't feel worthy to be in the same room so to speak with you guys um you know just a quick little background captain don i i started a lot of my stuff at davy's locker you know being a pinhead way back in the day um probably right around when this stuff was going on you know in the early 80s and stuff so i that's always been a special place to me and um it still is you know just like all my cousins have their relationship with their in dana wharf so Anyway, hats off to you. I love listening to you guys' interactions. Super, super cool. I wish I was right there with both of you guys taking it all in. Um, but I just want to, I'll just get a quick update, I guess, to the weekend. Um, the fish, you know, it's no secret. It's, it's pretty much widespread right now. Um, it's been in that same area for like the last almost a week now. I remember uh, Captain Hansen, I told him, I went and found it, and it was like, uh the sunday before <laughs> everybody was there like there was not one boat there and then monday there's quite a few boats and then tuesday forget about it every rowboat every kayak every jet ski every commercial boat everybody was there but there's plenty of fish to go around those yellowfin are chewing um 
I've been getting a bunch of them and then also a bunch of bluefin and some really quality Dorado. And it's really funny because sometimes there'll be a big paddy in the middle of the whole parking lot and nobody's fishing it because everybody's just like, oh, everybody's going to that. And I'll go up to that and I'll get one or two solid Dorado off it, keep moving. And <laughs> everybody just kind of overlooks it. They just think, oh, everybody's fishing it. But yeah, it's been spectacular. The water's great. The temperature's great. The weather, I, I've been enjoying it. It hasn't been too windy or anything. It's, it's a great time to get out there. Yeah. Well, you got some cool things going on. You have the guide service where you're willing to go with them on their boats and show them how to do it through your saltwater guide. And then you also have your charter boat. So real quick, give everybody a chance to get a hold of you put your phone number out there people it blows their mind that we put our phone numbers out there but gang we're not afraid we'll put our phone numbers out there always we're not afraid you can call us up and tell us what's going on but uh check it check it out get a hold of pablo if you guys if you're getting going out on your own boat and you're trying to figure this whole thing out you just can't figure out what's going on or you're just having a hard time or you just want to relax and enjoy your boat and take some of your buddies fishing. That's when you could call Pablo and have him come out and just dial you in. And he's doing all this out of San Diego and then up in Long Beach, LA Harbor. We got Justin and then up at the Channel Islands, we got Sonny. And everybody's super busy. They're not going to slow down. But if you're sitting on the sidelines trying to figure this thing out, give Pablo a call. Give Justin a call. Give Sonny a call. We'll have Justin on the show with us tomorrow. He's out hunting snakes today. Because that's what he does on the side. He has a snake hunting business. But Pablo, let everybody know how to get a hold of you. Elliot's yeah. throwing all your info up, but let him know. Yeah, yeah. So it, you pulled up a pretty cool clip there. I was pretty stoked to see that. Um, Gio just called me, and he was he was just going out, kind of late afternoon start. He hit me up, like, where should I go? Where should I go? And it took me a while to get back to him. I was in a meeting, and then I got back to him as quick as I could. He was already out there and I told him, all right, bro, this is where you want to go. This is your heading. Work this area. I told him exactly what to do and he nailed him and he had a blast. And, you know, I was surprised when he put this post out because I really didn't do anything except for speculate or what, what I would do. But that's the kind of thing we do for all of our members is we just get them on the fish. And that, that, that's what this whole thing's about. So you guys can get a hold of me at 619 431 3070 619 431 3070 and it's fernandezcharters.com and i know we'll get into the hoop netting stuff later but get ready because opening day the opening week is the best to get out there and um we're taking reservations now like i said we'll get into that later on another day yeah, next week I'm going to bring you, Justin, and I'm going to bring Steve from Promar on the show. Everybody will be on here, and we'll be talking all about this hoop netting thing. You can go fishing with Pablo on his boat, or he can come with you on your boat. Our guys will bring everything so you can be successful, or they'll bring nothing and use your gear so you can be successful. But we'll talk more about the lobster thing. And Pablo, thanks for joining us very, very much. Donnie and I are going to get back to telling old stories, bud. Thank you okay. for being a hey. part of the show. Pleasure to be here. We'll talk later. Thank you. All right, gang. Don't forget Opsin Fluorocarbon, big part of the show. Big, big, big part of the show, gang. And you want to make sure that you have some fluorocarbon. Donnie, don't you believe in your heart? Now, I mean, you and I grew up and we had monofilament. Now braided line and fluorocarbon. 
Isn't it an important piece? You got to have a piece of fluorocarbon tied to your line now. It's just the way it is. David, I am not the right person to ask. I am old school. <laughs> I still do not own any fluorocarbon. I just went on that two-day trip on the on the Thunderbird. Yes, I learned a valuable lesson about getting your line chewed through. But if the fish chew through my line, that's tough luck. I'll go tie another hook on to get another one. But Don't you know, I'm old school. Money. I just, I, you know, my thing is with fluorocarbon. I know that it works. It's the part about putting a knot in your line. I just, I'm from that era that any knot you put in your line is a place for the line to break. And that's where I can't get through. I'm old school. I'm sorry. But I know that 99% of the people on the boat all use fluorocarbon now. And you're absolutely right about the colored lines. I always just laugh. People come on with their mustard line and stuff like that. There's nothing like clear to fish in the ocean. So I'm glad to see that Ospin is offered and clear. Yeah, it's the most important thing is to make sure that there's, well, we talked about it when we were talking about bluefin fishing at the island when we were kids. Light line and clear. You had to have clear line. It was super important. Now with fluorocarbon, and I know what Don's saying, he doesn't know how to tie a connection knot. That's why he doesn't like it. <laughs> exactly. Can't see anymore. Let's be really honest here. Donnie can't tie that connection knot. So he's like, I ain't doing it. David, I actually bought some Spectra line for my trolling there in Havasu for stripers. And I went to try to tie the mono to the Spectra and I didn't know how to do it. So next time I see you, you'll have to show me how to connect the mono to the Spectra. Yes, I will. And let's be honest, that's the only thing that's stopping you. He'd love to put a piece of floral carbon on because like he said, everybody on the boat that was getting bit is using a piece of floral carbon on there. And this bluefin has big gnarly teeth, so they're sawing this floral carbon off all day. So you want to check that out? Here's a question from Ace. You see that up there? You see that up on your screen? Hey, Don, I'm old school too. No, Don, what was your biggest yellowtail count on the freelance? The biggest yellowtail count um, was actually 600 yellowtail. And that was down at, because, here we go again with the sonar, we're the only boat down at San Onofre that had a sonar and we can move around to the schools. And I believe the Dana Point boats that day had between 50 to 100 but they were having to troll to get their jig strikes and then chum where I was using the sonar. And yeah, we had, we had 600 yellowtail. And I'll put in a little bit more about that gang. It was crazy back then. These yellowtail were like in 150 to 200 feet of water. And we, we didn't have the sonar. So we would troll and we were just trolling like we're tuna fishing and you get a four way jig strike. And then, these yellowtail would just attack the boat and you'd once again, just like that yellow fin, you'd hook the whole boat would turn into an umbrella and you got 60 yellowtail all hooked up at the same time. With Donnie, with the sonar, he would pull into the school, do a couple circles, give everybody a chance to, to kind of get acclimated to the whole thing. We're on the Clemente. And the, and was, the anchor was going down. It was pandemonium. <laughs> yeah. 
But when you can anchor up on the fish, it gives everybody a little bit better chance. Gang, don't forget this Friday, we got a phenomenal podcast, Coastal Worldwide. These guys are incredible fishing off the beach and they catch some of the most incredible fish right off the beach and beach side shark fishing is an incredible thing. And we'll be showing lots of videos of these guys. So don't forget to check out our show on Friday. It's going to be incredible. You want to make sure you put this on your list, on your uh, schedule. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be fun. It's going to be really exciting. Elliot's going to throw up a little bit of the videos of how they do it there and what they're doing. These guys are fishing these big sharks off the beach, Donnie. In the right. wow. I told you guys I didn't know what this thing was. Pull him, baby, pull him. And it's a white, baby. Turn him, turn him. Bro, he's so heavy. Walk him down first. Oh, he's ready, dude. He's ready. This is right here in Alabama. There it is. Just keep walking him. Just keep walking him. Blaine. Bro, so much power. Behind this tail right now. Hey, pull up the tail. Pull up the tail. What we got? Get in there. <laughs> Crazy. Right? That looks like fun. Something different to try. Something different. God knows you and I love to do different things. It'd be like me and you going noodling for sharks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So crazy. Yep. It's going to be a good show. Don't miss it, gang. You want to make sure you're part of that on Friday. It's going to be a great show that uh, Elliot's going to produce a phenomenal show. It's going to be really good. There they go, doing a little deep drop swordfish fishing. Like, do you ever use those big weights when you were running the freelance? Did you ever fish rock cod on the freelance, Donnie? Oh, my gosh. Yes, we did fish rock cod. We loved rock cod. We were, we, were, we 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 also anchored up for rock cod in 600 to 700 to 800 feet of water too besides anchoring up at the rigs that looks like fun this is going to be fun getting these guys on the show and having them explain to me what we're looking at in all these different videos because you and i this looks we don't understand what the heck no nope, that's at. that that is uh french to us yeah don't have a clue it's always good to get a different perspective. Plus, there's plenty of people on here that would love to go catch a shark off the beach or go out fishing on these guys' charter boats. But um, Yeah, these guys are in Virginia, huh? Alabama? Alabama? Alabama, so. Virginia? Somewhere around it's there. Somewhere back some, on the east Somewhere coast. back east. Yep. We're going to learn all about it on Friday. It'll be a phenomenal show. We'll, we'll get down and dirty and find out what's going on. Donnie, did you ever commercial harpoon fish for swordfish? Nope, I never had the pleasure. But I, I have thrown a sword, I have thrown a harpoon at a swordfish, but it was from a sport boat, which we're not supposed to do, and I missed. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! So you got, you got so much stuff still going on in the industry, right? You got a couple of squid commercial squid boats out there catching squid mm -hmm. at night. You got, you still yep. got a little. You got your son in charge of the freelance Donald. Yes. And, and I'm in charge of the Thunderbird at the Davies locker. Right. So. And that's something people don't understand either is Don's been a part of Davies locker. I mean, for wow. All the way back. 1984 baby. Crazy. Right. To think Crazy. of that. 
1984, and here we are in 2023. Yep. We're both still so excited about fishing. I don't know if you can hear the passion when him and I start talking about all the cool things we got to do, but we both miss it horribly. We would do it again tomorrow morning if we had the opportunity. I wouldn't change a damn thing. The only thing I would have changed is when... Uh, Newport Landing bought into Davies Locker as I would have bought into the whale watch business. That was the only thing I messed up on because I was a fisherman. I didn't know that whale watching was going to become popular. You know, it's more popular than killing things. So that was the only mistake I ever made that I would change. Was how whale watching thing was. Yeah. And that's all, you know, it's all good. Did you see that question Tim just asked about the reel? I can't see it. It's a, oh, you know what it is? There's a private chat thing that's up on my screen that it keeps blocking. Okay. There we go. You know what? The Squitter Jr. was badass, especially when you can get the Newell spool. Um, the Newell reels, I liked them. But the, the problem with the Newell reels is being on a sport boat with the salt water all the time, the bearings would, would go out on them. You're constantly having to to oil them up or whatever, but there was the new reel was a fast reel. I mean, it was good. You know, what was really cool. And Donnie, you'd remember this. The pen reels were so versatile back in the day. Here's what you would do in the morning to start fishing. You would dunk your rod in the bait tank. You would just stick your whole rod reel, everything right in the bait tank. And that's how you would start your day. Right. David. I just got back from that two-day trip on the Thunderbird. We have a saltwater pool at our condo in Oceanside. What did I do? I went out there and I dunked it in there because that's what I learned was dunking it in saltwater. And I started, and I wasn't thinking anything about it. And I get out here to Lake Havasu and I go, son of a beehive. I've got to rinse that those things off with fresh water now. Yeah, and you just totally dunked them. But that's how it was back then. But that, because we used them every day. You could dunk them in the salt water to get them started in the morning. And that's, like you said, the pin reels were very versatile. Uh, I mean, I still own two pin reels. You know, I don't own one of these fancy two-speed jobber dues. You know, my two fancy ones are two small Daiwas that are six to one. That's just, But they're just small for bait casting, you know. Oh yeah, but so it was all. I don't, about- I, don't, I don't own any deep drop tuna rigs. I want nothing to do with one of those silver uh, twenty-eight ounce jigs. Right, <laughs> and dropping it down three hundred feet to hook a two hundred. Six hundred. Yeah, I don't. That doesn't sound fun to me. No, that just doesn't sound fun. Yeah, you I give me a live flying fish or a live squid to throw out there for that big bluefin, then I'm in. Yeah, I want to see the bite up on the surface for yeah. sure. Absolutely. So what as you're looking at what's going on right now in this yellow fin and this blue fin and all the food that's out here right now, doesn't it really to you look like it's going to be just an incredible October and November, the table set? Because we really haven't had any consistent weather. As soon as we get that Indian summer again, it could be unbelievable, right? Yeah, it can get... It can be good, and there's there's enough fish around. Um, it's uh, everything's laid out to where it can be a really good October, and uh, it's just all according to the weather on the outside. You know, 
we keep this weather pattern where we're not getting any wind to turn things over. It was just bizarre after that hurricane, how the water turned. I mean, it, it upwelled the water where we had that red tide, even though the fish were still in the red tide. Um, I mean, there were swordfish within three miles of Newport swimming around disorientated in the red tide, you know, right. but, but the red tide's gone away now, but it was kind of, kind of weird how that happened after that hurricane, but that hurricane came right up the coast. It didn't come from the outside. So we didn't get that normal push we normally get. Yeah, it was definitely different. We'd never seen it like where it turned out water over in Newport Harbor. Water was 57 degrees the next morning, which was yep. incredible. It went from 70 to 57. That was a big And that's how we got the red tide. The red tide was stretched out almost to Catalina there for a few days. But fuck, there was bluefin tuna, yellowfin tuna up, crashing right in the middle of it like it was not even, was it? They didn't care that it was there. Yeah, it was because that's where all the food was still locked into there. And they, they, they locked into the, where, where the bio, whatever you call it, the biomorganism, micronisms are. Yeah, I don't know what those big words are either. One thing I got to talk about real quick. You see this shirt I'm wearing? War Heroes on the Water. Yes. Saturday, going off Newport Beach, big parade through the harbor. Gang, if you want to check out War Heroes on Water, go to the website, check it out. War Heroes on Water. We still need, I think Rod told me this morning, we still need two boats. We're, believe me, we're not going to leave any War Heroes standing on the dock, but we need two boats. If there's two guys, two boats out there that could support the War Heroes and take them fishing for three days, that would be tremendous. And also, we still need any donations you can possibly give to the War Heroes. It's all the money goes straight to Freedom Alliance. War Heroes on Water is a phenomenal organization. This is the seventh year of the tournament. It is an incredible event. Great. We take these guys fishing on these beautiful yachts. I'll be up there. I'm flying up on Wednesday. I'll be running a nice yacht, the joint venture. And uh, we'll be taking some of these guys fishing. Hit that QR code right there, gang. And that then you can donate to War Heroes on Water. The men and women that are taking part in this, they've donated the highest level of donation they've donated their bodies to make sure that Donnie and I get to go fishing and have fun out on the water every single day. Freedom is a word that is not a four letter word. We need to really respect that and, and be there for these guys. Yep. Cause they've done the all these men and women have given the ultimate sacrifice. So Don and I can go fishing for a living, which is kind of silly when you think about it, but that Donnie and I get to go fishing for a living, which I hope we never have to send the Marines down there to save you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you ever will. Nope. We got, we got the biggest support we could possibly have for these guys, men and women. I've been given uh, a ton of respect to everybody. And I just want you all to be there for the parade on Saturday afternoon. We'll show the parade route and everything this week on the podcast. And I'll be doing the live podcast next week from up there with a bunch of the war heroes. So make sure you stay tuned to that. Be a part of this. It, it will absolutely change your heart. It's a phenomenal event and you all want to be a part of it at one way or another. Jump on there, the QR code, give a little bit of a, give a little bit back. Just give a little bit back, gang. It won't hurt. It'll make you feel real good inside. God bless everyone and take your kids fishing and your grandkids. That's a great, great. That is 
it's all about taking kids fishing. You want them to get the passion like Donnie and I have. Donnie, you take the kids fishing out there on the on the lake at Lake Havasu and go catch those stripers. How much fun do they have? They have a ball. It's unbelievable. But it, it, the funniest part is they still don't get it. <laughs> the fish are jumping and grandpa's yelling. There's like, huh? I don't see them. <laughs> but that, that's what makes it great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's the enthusiasm and they'll get it eventually. There's just too many bright and shiny objects nowadays for kids. It's hard. Yeah, it's called an iPhone. They and should the they, iPhone. They, they, they should uh, make them un unavailable to kids till they're 18. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. No, I understand, but that'll never happen. Gang, one more time, those of you that don't know, if you grab that QR code right now, you got a chance to win a free spool of line. Next week, we give away every Monday on the show, we give away a free spool of ops and floral carbon just for one person for going over there and checking out the website. And then we pick the name out of the hat this week. Tim, Tim Ogilvie won the spool. It could be you that we're talking about next week. So grab that QR code, go over there, check it out. You're going to save 20% using the QR code to buy the line. It's not a bad thing. You always want to have floral carbon. And nowadays, it's really cool to be able to save some money when you go fishing. Is that your kids fishing at the lake? That is my two grandkids at Lake Hemet just trying to throw a rock in the lake. That was Lake <laughs> Hemet. Oh, sweet. How cool is that? Yep. Well, Donnie, I want to thank you very much for being a part of the show today, as usual. I laughed so hard and I got so excited any, talking to anytime, you. David, any anytime. It was love so you, man. Fun. We had so much fun growing up together, and you'll be down here next month. So I can't wait to go yes, to dinner with we'll you. Be down there next month. Thank and you. Joey Helgram, Joey Helgram is watching us. He said to say hi. Hey, Joey. Oh my gosh. I gotta get him on here. We'll tell some stories. There you go. All <laughs> right. Be a blast. I'll reach out to Joey after the show. Donnie right. Bachman, thank you so much for your time. Everybody that Bye, Marley. Bye, Marley. Everybody that watched the show, thank, thank you. Thank you all for not peeing on David's head today. There he <laughs> is. He came to see Donnie. There's Marley. Everybody, thank you all very, very much for all your support. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Have a great Goodbye. day. Turn off the news. They're all lying. <laughs>